Okay, here we go. This is Radio Free Flint. Uh, you're listening to Arthur Bush. And today we have a really fine episode for you. We have attorney Michael Jablonski. Welcome, Michael. Welcome, Arthur. It's good to be here. You actually grew up in Mount Morris. Uh, actually, I started out in Flint on Dartmouth Street. And then uh, my father built a house on Elm Street in Mount Morris when I was about six years old. And just before we started kindergarten, we moved to uh, Mount Morris. And that's where I, I resided for my uh, through high school. And you graduated as a Mount Morris Panther. 1971. And that school treated me really, really good. Really good. In your neighborhood, had a special neighbor over the back of the backyard fence. Sure did. We had the famous Slattery family, <laughs> fire chief. And uh, what a wonderful family. And uh, his son, Bob, uh, ended up, I think, being mayor of Mont Morris. And his siblings were wonderful people. They had a nice pool behind us. They built a pool. It was nice to have a neighbor with a pool and a basketball court. Well, the Slatteries actually came to Mount Morris and opened a pharmacy. And they were some of the original settlers of Mount Morris. They, they did. But, you know, you reach back, as strange as it may seem, back then in the uh, early 60s, Mount Morris had Slattery's drugs. Uh, we had Dixie drugs downtown. And we also had Captain drugs. We had three drugstores in Mount Morris back then. <laughs> Goes back in history. We, people don't remember, but uh, right across from the church, and this goes back to the late 50s and early 60s, my father had a, a little dairy queen business there he started up, and in the early 60s, it turned into a place called King Richard's, and it was, it was really like the Arnold's drive-in on happy days. We had a car hops and uh, all kinds of stuff going on there. Uh, we were kind of rivals. They had a circuit between us and Wally's. Uh, there was some other one down a little farther that the people made the trips with their cars back in the 60s. The only reason I knew is my father broke every child labor law and we were working when I was six and seven years old. Now, your time in Mount Morris, you also had a close friendship with another well-known Flint personality, David Raymond Barber. Yeah, Dave stood up in my wedding, actually. We went to school together. Uh, he was uh, uh, two years younger. He went to school with my sister, Nancy. But Dave was uh, pretty much ahead of his time. Back in the early days, uh, in 1971, we had the privilege of opening up a new high school in Mount Morris, and that's out on the Neff Road area. We moved from what was considered the round school. I was student council president, and I had the privilege of assisting opening that place up with the famous principal, Pete Fusey. Dave talked Mr. Fusey into starting a little radio station back there within the what we called the Elizabeth Ann Johnson School back then. And that's where kind of Dave got his start. He would get up in the morning and early morning broadcasts and during lunchtime. And he'd do his little podcast right from the uh, little school radio station. And uh, the rest is history with him. He, he worked very, very hard. Well, let's switch gears here for a second and talk about your parents, they also were well-known in the community, especially in the northern part. Uh, your father uh, had a lot of activities. Tell us about him and uh, your mom. Well, my mom and dad were interesting people. I don't think my dad knew what he wanted to be when he grew up, and I think that passed on to me. My, my father, like I indicated, started out. My family was in the bakery business. My grandfather, Albert, 
started the business a long time ago. And this will take people back to the first bakery was the New York Bakery on Tilden and Industrial. Beautiful little bakery back serving the Polish community over there. And then uh, they expanded out. My, my uncle Ernie and my grandfather had Easttown Bakery, famous bakery on Davidson Road. Uh, my uncle Ernie expanded out to Danny's Donuts. And while my uncle was doing that, my father ended up building a place in the Beecher District called the Donut King. And the Donut King was a, a really good restaurant, I mean, a bakery back then. And then he also had Northtown Bakery uh, right around Pearson and Saginaw. And I, I can remember my father, he, when the groups like Starbucks come in, and you got to go back to the 60s and things like that, we all, they all had counters. And you went, to the, you went to the counter, you had a donut, a cup of coffee. Well, a cup of coffee was a nickel for all you could drink. My father and my uncle couldn't wait to get the counters out of the bakeries. Well, when Starbucks come around, here's my 13, 14-year-old daughter ordering one cup of coffee for $5.95 back then. It drove him nuts. He, he couldn't imagine paying $5.95 for a cup of coffee. But we had one more privilege back then. Uh, my father, back in the late 50s and 60s, and I, I was born in 1953, and we were living in Mount Morris at the time, but my father had the bakery at the Donut King. And what a lot of people will remember that are of that age. Back then we had GMI, General Motors Institute, Hurley Hospital, and we had the plants. Well, my father, uh, before they had cafeterias, he delivered the donuts to the plants. And back then in the late 50s, early 60s, you started your day off with a plain donut and you dunked it in coffee. And so every morning, before I was dropped off to school, uh, he dropped off donuts at either GMI and or uh, plants. And I, I'll tell you who ran the cafeteria was a guy named Mr. Kaplan. I think it was her Kaplan ran GMI. I would bring back some names from some people a long time ago. So my father had that particular business. Uh, then he had the King Richards in Mont Morris, but he also had one more business going on too. Some people listening to this may remember, but there was a company called Home Juice Company. And Home Juice Company sold uh, different types of juices, but you went and got the juices twice a week from Detroit. And like I said, I was seven, eight years old going to Detroit a couple times a week with my father. And they were in the glass, glass bottles and they had pulp in them. So they served these big, uh, big home juice and glass bottles. And then they had the little plastic and they were like waxed paper, they're square. They had a little opening on the side for personal, for personal juices, so we did that. But back then, uh, when uh, the Catholic schools, parochial schools were big around here. I mean, you go back to the 60s, St. Agnes, St. Matt, St. Mike, St. Mary's, Mount Morris, Flint, Holy Redeemer, Holy Rosary, all of them. Well, we all were told by the Pope that uh, we couldn't eat before we went to communion. We had to fast two, three hours before communion. So naturally, my dad took opportunity and we did most of the donuts to most of the schools. Uh, so we delivered donuts for the kids that went to church in the morning and uh, had a nickel donut and a nickel nickel milk. That's how we started our day. <laughs> your dad and your mom, God rest their soul, uh, yeah. your mom was a, a character, just a delight. Tell, tell us about her. My mom, uh, yeah, she had, she had a little harder life. She, she had a, a wonderful uh, sister, Phyllis, who, who had some health issues. Her mom died very young, back in 53. So my mom turned into the mom in her family. And she came from a wonderful family called the Zyber family. 
And that's how I think I, I started getting into law school. My grandfather, Louie, fabulous man. He was a police officer. He ended up being a lieutenant, I believe, under the Jim Rutherford group back then. And he then went into, uh, was a court bailiff for Judge John Baker. So he worked for John Baker. And we spent a lot of time at the courthouse up there because, you know, you didn't have a lot of cars back then. And they kind of shared cars. My mom would pick my grandfather up at the courthouse. We went up there and I got to meet John Baker. I've got a couple of his whittles. He whittled wood whittles. I've got a few in my office from him. And so I was kind of exposed to law enforcement and the judicial system at a young age. I, I, I wanted to go to law school, but I didn't know if I ever wanted to practice law. I, I wanted to go because I felt that was important. But grandfather, Louis Zyber, related to the Yancho family, they had firemen in Flint and other policemen in Flint. They go back, very stable. They lived over originally on Dewey Street back in the days in the Sacred Heart District. And then he ended up moving over the other side of town with Edward, Edward Street. And my Uncle Don was a wonderful man. He, he was the credit counselor or credit manager at Hurley Hospital for years. We were all around the place. It was kind of fun, actually. Your dad, Ray, he also got involved eventually in, act, in state activities and in the county activities with the Licensed Beverage Dealers Association. My dad was an organizer. He, he loved to do things. He was a grand knight of the Knights of Columbus. He really pushed the Michigan Licensed Beverage Association, which is a great group. I think he made it all the way up to vice president of the state. And that had another exposure once again. That took me to Lansing. My, my dad loved to have his kids, my brother Curtis and myself, go to Lansing. He loved to have us go to the conventions. He loved to have us meet people. And, and we were the youngest ones in the group. We were, we were all over the state at a very, very young age. Being in the bar business, he liked to stop in bars. And I think he knew everybody in almost every bar in the state of Michigan back then. Uh, but he also did some other things too. And this will ring some bells to some people. But there was a bowling tournament in Chicago. And it was called the Peterson Classic. And my father loved bowling. Loved bowling, all my family did. Well, he organized several trips from the Flint area for a lot of the good bowlers to go to Chicago to bowl in the Peterson Classics for years. Uh, a lot of people might have forgot about that. That was my exposure to Chicago. Eventually, you and your father started doing business together. We worked together a little bit. I had a band back then. A I, band? You know, oh, yeah, I had a music band. I, it, it was, <laughs> it, it, we, I was, uh, they made, uh, a Polish boy made me play the accordion. But the hardest part was uh, I was with some wonderful musicians in high school, 10th, 11th grade. And we had a band called Crystal Blue and Blue Society. We played all over weddings, uh, after school dances and things like that. But for the first year and a half, you could imagine me playing the accordion in a rock and roll band, you know, when Inna Garavita and Journey to the Center of Your Mind was popular. I, I wasn't the most popular guy with the girls. They went off with the guitar player and the drummers. And eventually, uh, I, I ended up uh, working uh, in my father's bar. He, he had the famous TikTok lounge on the corner of Francis and Saginaw. And that took a natural metamorphosis. And uh, eventually uh, my brother assisted my father, my brother Curtis, and they kind of turned it into JT Thornberry's. That had a whole history by itself. It was a wonderful, wonderful place. But I had the privilege of uh, performing at my father's bar 
when I was, uh, oh, I would say about 19 or 20. I was going to school at the time, coming back from school and working on weekends and met a lot of nice people. And then I started doing a musical career all over city of Flint to pay my way through school. Played a lot of places around here. And eventually, uh, not to skip ahead too far, but eventually you did end up with your brother running that bar, J.T. Thornberry's. Well, I have uh, to give my brother most of the credit for that. I kind of assisted. I was doing celebrations at the time and some other things like that. Uh, So my brother was the mainstay on that. And I I have to give him all the credit. I, I helped out financially because my dad was kind of a he was a kind of a conservative guy when it came to money. And so I remember that my brother wanted to do some things and we wanted to do some things out there. So we put in these new wonderful bathrooms in this old TikTok lounge, now JT Thornberry's. And, and that kind of set a new tone out there. We remodeled a little bit and I helped on that. And I think that some of the ideas that uh, I did in my career at the old beach tree and, and at uh, RC Cooper's and at celebrations, I think my brother took a lot of that stuff and did a magnificent job with it. Just a fabulous job. Well, eventually you got into a relationship with who I think is one of the, the great people in the hospitality industry and Flint history, and that's Doug Bosley. Yeah, Doug was a, a wonderful man. He stood up at my wedding also. Uh, we had a, a wonderful run together, and then we didn't. We, we had some differences of opinion, and some different things happened and we kind of went separate ways for many, many years before he passed. And and before he passed, him and I got together several times quietly while the world thought we were bitter enemies and we really weren't. A guy by the name of Don O'Reilly, he really got us together before Doug passed. And we really said what we needed to say to each other. and, And we had a good relationship that nobody really saw, but we really got it out at the last couple meetings. And he was the art form of hospitality business. Doug had, Doug had a big banquet hall in Flushing called Bosley's. His name's well, before it was called the Country Squire. And he had the Country Squire for years. And he sold out to a gentleman that ended up building the beech tree. And then he ended up getting the Country Squire back and called it Bosley's. And that's where Bosley's came from, which eventually, for historical purposes, I ended up taking that over. It's, it's called R.C. Cooper's and Brentwood Banquet Center. Then it turned into a guy named Steve Wright, who was a restaurateur, turned it into Squire Creek. And then Louis Fernandez came in there and made it Broad Street. And then somebody else came in there and eventually burnt down. So it's a, I was very familiar with that particular building. Big building, beautiful building, a lot of memories. Since you became involved with Celebration. It, I designed that. Okay, that's in Flint Township. Yes, and that's off Beecher Road, just down the road from McLaren Hospital. Yes, it, that was the successor to the Beech Tree. When, when Doug got Bosley's back, he put most of his food's emphasis at Bosley's and kind of left Beech Tree out there hanging a little bit. So I wasn't a good uh, restaurant guy back then. I didn't pretend. So I literally flew out to a couple places. I flew to Atlanta and I flew to uh, Dallas. And I studied a concept called Studebakers. I really studied it hard, spent weeks out there, came back, modified the concept, turned it into what was celebrations, which was a, for me, it was a 20 some year run for me. I ended up selling it. It was full when I sold it. Great run. It was probably one of the best nightclubs 
uh, that this area and the region and possibly the state has ever seen. There, the clientele there uh, was fabulous. The workers there, the, some of the best people I've ever, ever met. We, we had a full dance floor four nights a week at six o'clock at night. And it was a hub. People knew how to dance. They knew how to talk to each other. Girls knew how to accept a drink from a guy. A guy knew how to buy a drink from a girl. I mean, buy a drink for a young lady. It was magical. And I, I wish those times would return. They were, they were magic. We were there also the second one in the state to buy the, what was called the pioneer karaoke system. So we got a lot of the people in this area singing with Shooting Star and a bunch of the events we did back there. We were basically American Idol before it's time, 20 years. We did the same format. I've got about 300 hours of video that I threatened to put up for all these singers because they get a kick out of their days 20 years ago. That's blackmail material. That's good stuff though, Arthur. I mean, this town was this town was great. Entertainment, every place, people happening. It was a great town. Celebrations had its run, what, in the 80s and 90s? It went, it went all the way through 2003 and I sold it. I ended up buying the plaza eventually and somebody wanted the plaza in the nightclub and uh, I sold it. And when I sold it, there were still lines out the door. I, I was busy at that time. At that time, I was uh, going into another endeavor with Brick Street. I, I op- bought that in about 1999, 2000. That was a big restaurant in the Grand Blanc area, and it's still there today and doing better than ever, even in these crazy times. We're, we're doing okay. All right. Well, let's finish off with the Brick Street, which I think is your crown jewel, personally. And it is uh, an active, ongoing, and even open restaurant. Tell us about that, its concept, how you ended up stumbling onto it, your story with John Klobuchar, all John, that. John Klobuchar is an icon, and, and most people know John not by his last name, but by Big John. He uh, started a fabulous uh, steak and onion. It's, it's just, it should be nationally franchised. It's that good of a concept. Well, I represented him on certain parts of my law practice. And John, like a lot of the franchise people or the Coney Island people, they have this urge. They've, they've got to own a restaurant. They, they, they've got to entertain the politicians. They gotta, they gotta put their arm on the bar and say, I own this and come in. And John was that way. He wanted a nice restaurant. So the predecessor with that was called the Stonehearth out there. And that was built by a lot of wonderful political people in the area, but they just couldn't make it. John ended up with it. And he had a guy out of Detroit called Valdemir who owned a big banquet facility down there, uh, Eight Mile. And he was going to help John work this restaurant. And what ended up happening unexpectedly, Valdemir died. And then John tried to make this work. And he, he was a great franchise guy, he did the Kentucky Fried Chickens, Big John, but running a full service restaurant was, was just not his cup of tea. So literally he comes in my office one day and just, he, he had a sight problem. He had a driver and he just ran by my secretary says, is he in? I says, yeah, he's, my secretary says he in. He comes right to my office and he says, you're buying it. I says, John, I'm buying what? He says, you're buying the stone art. I said, John, I don't want another property. Well, he persisted that day. So I went to my secretary, drew up a little one-page thing, say, I, Mike Jablonski, on behalf of a company to be formed, agree to buy the Stoneheart, the land, the liquor licenses from John Klobuchar for X amount of dollars payable within 10 days after title work and put it on the desk and son of a gun, the guy signed it. 
The worst part, I had to go home and tell my wife. <laughs> I was going into another business. That was probably harder than uh, anything. And then, then my dad kind of assisted me uh, physically, uh, not financially, but helping me opening it up. My dad had a ball. We, we had a great relationship together. I, my mom and my dad were just, they were supportive of all us kids. They are tremendous. My sister Nancy and Renee, uh, who's out in Denver and my sister, if anybody wants a nice place uh, to go in the summertime, she has a beautiful dude ranch called Our Lazy S in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. So if anybody hears this, here's of Our Lazy S. I'm doing a commercial for my sister Nancy out there. <laughs> my other sister, Renee, she's a, uh, she's a wonderful nurse out in Denver, Colorado. She runs a, a lab out there. And, Didn't uh, your brother at one time serve on the Mount Morris school board? I'm confused. He might have on that. I, I think he did. He's on Grand Blank School Board now. I know oh, he, right. he, he did a lot, made a lot of waves in Mount Morris, but uh, I, I know he's on Grand Blank School Board because they think it's me. And I go, no, no, that's my brother's decision out there. <laughs> the Brick Street uh, has gone through some pretty tough times recently. Can you talk to us about that and what, what the experience has been that's transformative, you think, for the long term for that business? Well, I, I think the hospitality industry is changing forever. I feel very bad for a lot of my colleagues, not just in the local, but across the state, across the country. Uh, I have my very personal opinions on some of this stuff, but uh, that's for a different day, I think. It, it has been difficult. When you're waking up one day, the government tells you that you can't open your business up. It's a tough blow, very tough blow. I, I probably have between my old celebrations crew, my old RC Cooper crew, and now Brick Street, I've, I've had some of the finest, finest people in Genesee County. And it was very difficult for them as individuals because they rely on tips and the public has been great to us. They put us on an emotional, in an economic roller coaster that you really have to think outside the box. And one thing you cannot do, you cannot feel sorry for yourself because everybody has given the same deck of cards. You have to step back and play the cards different. And you have to be aggressive, whether you're a 20-year operator or one-year operator, you have to look at the business and say, okay, this is the business in 2021. What is the business gonna be like in 23, 24, 25 out because your mortgage lasts a lot more than one year. People don't realize you build a building like uh, Brick Street, that's a two and a half to $3 million building. In today's cost, it could be up to four to five million with lumber, what it is. Well, one day doesn't solve those problems. People are signing mortgages like house mortgages for tens of thousands of dollars per month. It's difficult. People's eating habits have changed. People, one good thing, they're learning how to cook again, I think. I think we lost the art of cooking, but I think when you take the, the fast foods business, they have done a magnificent job. They, 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 they just tore everybody up. Their systems worked. There's no lunches anymore to speak of with people working at home. So trying to do any type of lunch business in the full dining business is almost impossible. So basically your window period is really from three o'clock to eight o'clock. You gotta be pretty good with the laws that uh, we have here you're done by 11 o'clock. And most people didn't need after 11, but the small bars are hurting. We've taken the social aspect 
out of people are, they hover at their tables, they're scared to talk, if there's a fear. We need to get back to living. Uh, don't get me wrong, I think this COVID matter is a serious matter. And I'm concerned, I'm, I'm kind of a high energy kind of guy. So when it comes to running my businesses, I attack the problem. I, I don't sit on it. I, I think about it, I research it, I attack it. But you're thinking about other entrepreneurs who don't have the energy or other entrepreneurs that are coming up. Every person in this world cannot sell an app for an Android or an Apple and make millions of dollars. People gotta do physical work right. and people need to own things and they Not need to structure things. You're in the assisted living and memory care business now. Since about uh, uh, 1999, 2000. I'll tell you something. I, I, do, I did get the vaccine. I, my wife and I did because of our facility. We have to be down there. Uh, we got the Madeira one and, and it's worth taking. But regardless of that, regardless of the COVID situation, I'm proud to say we've got our places, our assisted living care memory places, and knock on wood, as of the day, had zero COVID. So we're very pleased with that. But, but the more important aspect of that is before COVID, I got into it. I didn't understand that business. I understand it very, very well right now. And, and even prior to COVID, I, I beg people, if your parents are in those facilities, visit them. Take your grandkids. Take your kids. Those facilities are well run in most cases. They want to see people. It's the place where they now live. And I remember when we made a decision, we tried very hard to keep my mother at home. And this goes out to all your listeners. It's very difficult. And we tried, you know, and, and, and the healthcare people that come into your home are wonderful people. I, I'm wonderful. But my mom was there living alone after my dad passed. And we started out four hours a day at 25 bucks an hour. Next thing you know, it's a $3,000 a month bill. Then it was eight hours a day, 6,000, then 12 hours, 9,000 a month, just for that. The bad thing about it, my sisters, God bless them, were out of state. And I think that happens in a lot of families. A lot of families, you, you've got one sibling here. Like for example, in my case, I went to see my mother every morning, but I was scared that she had fallen down the stairs or she fell in the restroom. And finally we made a decision. And I, I thank my sisters for making that decision with everyone. The minute she went into the facility and, and we could care for her, she had 24 hour care and a place to live. I finally slept at night. And I think there's a lot of siblings up there that don't take that to the next step and really realize it. Sometimes you need care. And, and the other thing too is, boy, I, I spent some time down at our facility in Rochester Hills. And we, we had quite a few of, we sold out our big complex in 2016, but boy, what memories. I mean, just like we're talking today about memories, you sit down and talk to some of these people I've got a lady down there, 100 years old. We could talk for hours because, you know, you know me, Arthur, I've, I've touched everyone in this city. You know, people don't know. I used to work for Sam Katzman. That's a name people forgot about in this town in my legal career. I, I did a lot of things and a lot of great memories. I mean, I, I've had a wonderful life so far. And, and so I want to do one thing. There's, there's one program that I want to reach out. And Mr. Mott, years ago, had a thing called the Mott Intern Program. And that's years ago in the 68 and 70s. He brought people from all over the country to Michigan and taught them. And one of the requirements were 
they had to go back into uh, the community. And this is important to our friend Dave too. Dave Barber and I were mentored by a guy from out east called Michael Myers. And he was a mod intern that Mr. Mott brought here. And he worked as assistant principal under Pete Fusey at Montmore School. That man, that program just elevated me to seeing the world. And Mr. Mott, Charles Mott, I just wanna thank him for that. And I wanna thank him and his family for the community programs, which they did back in the 60s, which I think we should take a lesson from and go back letting all kids play, get out of these semi-professional sports stuff and let all kids play and reach your potential. Those communities, you ask about communities, Mont Morris, Clio, Beecher, Flint, the community programs that were designed back in the 60s and 70s with the adult education, with the kids, it was fabulous. It made us reach our potentials, Arthur. Now, Mike, eventually you ended up at Michigan State University. I did. I wore this hat for you. Thank you. Thank you. As you know, we're both alumni of Michigan State, and I know no one who loves Michigan State more and is more of an enthusiastic supporter than Michael and, and Jackie uh, Jablonski. We do. How did you get to Michigan State, and what, what did you make of the place when you got there from Mount Morris, Michigan? Arthur, it's a little different story being a, a Catholic boy in the 60s. Okay, you got to understand this. We were going to church every single day. You got to remember the times, 1971, was really the last class that walked out of high schools in our area into General Motors. That was really that year. Many of my classmates had a great career at General Motors, did very well with them. Well, going to church every day, we didn't know anything about Michigan or Michigan State. The only school that we heard from Father Beauvais back then and the priest was Notre Dame. That was it. And so it came to about my junior year in high school and I transferred to Mount Morris because I didn't want to go to Powers. Not that I didn't like Powers, but I had too many cousins at all the regular schools. <laughs> and uh, I was scared I was, wasn't going to do very well there because we're party people and I needed an education. So I transferred to Mount Morris and uh, but kept my linkage with the priests and Father Beauvais long gone. So I went to the parish priest and I says, well, I'm ready for college, which really wasn't a big thing in Mount Morris. Hardly anybody went to college. General Motors was it. And I said, I'm ready to go to Notre Dame now. And uh, the guy, our parish priest kind of laughed at me. He says, where'd you get that idea? I said, well, Father Beauvais said, Notre Dame's the place you got to go. I'm ready to go. I, I went to church every day. I, I did all this and kind of laughed. I, I didn't realize that Notre Dame had about only 6,000 people. Unfortunately, back then, we had some wonderful people, but they really weren't counseling us to go to college back then. I, I was the first one in my family to go it was new to us. We didn't know what it was. And I ended up, didn't have the grades to get into Michigan State originally, but I went to Ferris for a year. I boosted my grades up and, and then ended up in Michigan State. I loved Michigan. I loved Michigan State. I just thought Michigan State was a better fit for me at that time. And so I ended up there. And What did you major in? Because Michigan State has a great hotel, restaurant, and institutional management program. I did sociology and I did... Uh, <laughs> communications, which, wait a second, I didn't know any better. I knew I wanted to go to law school, okay? But you got to remember, Arthur. I think people got to understand, I've known you for over 35 years, and some of this I've never heard before. Oh, yeah. This, this, is, this is cracking me up. 
Well, we'll see what happened is back then, what, uh, when I was going to school, I, I stayed in the famous Shaw Hall my years at uh, uh, Michigan State, but I also was up in uh, Henderson, up Ferris for a year, but what most people didn't realize, when I was at Ferris, I was coming home on the weekends playing in a band at my dad's place, and then when I was at Michigan State, I was living on campus and I was doing the opposite. I was coming home three to five nights a week playing in bars, going to school. And I was coming back at 2.30 in the morning, driving back to Michigan State. I was doing either a, a band or a, a piano bar type of thing. And your whole goal was to go to law school. I, I did. And, and I ended up at uh, U of D Law School. And even, I didn't know how much money that my dad had or anything like that. So I, I felt being the first one and seeing three siblings behind me, I, I figured I should work and I should pay my way through. And I did. I paid my way through my undergrad, I, my law school. When we went to law school, you and I, it was possible to pay with hard work. I mean, I taught, I taught uh, at the, on the school of business faculty at Michigan State University. I saved my money up. I made a good living there. And I took all that money and I went to the Cooley Law School by night. Today, tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Arthur, it, it is such a different time. I, I, when I went to school, I looked at it this way. I was paying for that school. I was working five nights a week in some cases for many years while I was going to law school at Michigan State. I demanded that the teachers taught me. I didn't accept mediocrity. I wish I could have spent more time studying my craft back then, but the idea behind it was to be able to pay for it and get the craft. When you came back to Flint, you know, you and I uh, started roughly in the same neighborhood time frame. It seemed like to me went off and started doing business stuff. And I had a chance to join a couple firms out of Genesee County. And it wasn't because of my academic. I think people just I got along with people. I knew how to make a good cocktail and I entertained a little bit. So I'm not so sure it was because I was a good lawyer or not, but I, I've always been business orientated. Like I said, when I met the mod intern, Michael Myers, he assisted me. He showed me what business was. Then when I got out of law school, I was still working with uh, Doug Bosley. I was playing the piano. I was doing a lot of other things. And then I got a, a nice offer to be in-house counsel from Sam Katzman. And, his, and he was a big real estate developer. He owned uh, all the apartments on Beecher Road, owned the Commerce Building where the Hyatt was, uh, owned the Howard Johnsons over on the Center Road, and owned a tremendous amount of land in Boca Raton, Florida. I mean, multi-million dollar man, but a kind man. I probably learned more from him in the two and a half years that I worked in his offices about real estate, about business development, than I could ever learn because he was dealing with everybody. And I, everybody who was influential from Shapiro's, they own land at the Bishop Airport. I'm telling you something, he had some characters around him and I learned the good, the bad, and the ugly. Names that were around here were a guy like Chuck Dannell, that name will ring a bell to you, and Tony Getzfried and those guys. I mean, I, I learned, I fell into an education that was fabulous. You've lived in the Flint area your whole life. I mean, people now associate you with Grand Blanc, mostly because of the visibility of Brick Street. You own a couple other joints, or at least one other. Mike's Tavern, I'm not even sure where that is. but Fenton, Fenton and Grand Blanc Road. Oh, okay. 
Cross from Auto Pride. They'll love that for the commercial. Was, Cross from was, Auto, but the Library it, Inn years ago. That makes sense that you would have taken all the books out. <laughs> you know, you've grown up in the area. You know, the younger people in the area probably associate you as a Grand Blank person. I think you still live in Grand Blank and have for many years. Looking at the whole community, Flint has given you a lot. It has. And your family. I mean, you're, you know, there's not a lot of auto workers in this family. There's entrepreneurs, people who have the spirit of America start something and they've been blessed to be able to take risk and they've been rewarded for the most part. My question is this, are you a Flintstone? You know, that's a difficult question to answer. Uh, and I, I'm going to say it this way. I was in Montmorris and on Saturday mornings, me and my friends were young, 13, 15 years old. Our parents let us get on a bus and we took that bus from Mont Morris to downtown Flint. We saw movies at the Capitol, at the state. We went to the various music stores. Uh, Jim Jacobs had the music center and other music stores because they're all musicians. We went to the Coney Islands and Flint was an absolute vibrant community. I'm one of the people that had the privilege of uh, playing high school proms at the Durant Hotel in the ballroom back in the days. We lost it someplace because you had General Motors working three shifts. Well, boy, if there's people working three shifts, we had the outside of Anchorage, Alaska. At one time, we had the highest per capita income in this country, second to Anchorage, Alaska. We were great. We had three shifts working. People had money, they were vibrant. And then we started getting a little bit greedy. The General Motors and the, the workers in the union, they didn't look for the future, they were looking for now. And General Motors is great, the unions are great, everybody's great. Sometimes we get caught up into now rather than looking at what should be happening five, 10, 12 years out. The core of this town is fabulous. Like everything, the political stuff has just torn it up. Do you have any goals? Yeah, I, I do. I, I have a re-goal at Brick Street. One of it is, I think people have, they forgot what dining is. I, I mean dining. We went and we kind of redid our dining rooms. We actually put full settings down. We made it. We kept the price really moderate. But we gave them an old-fashioned dining experience now where we want them to sit look at each other, talk to each other, invite a friend. We put in some smaller suites, which for tables of four and six, they can be very private if you want to. I want people to bring families out. I want them to teach their children how to sit down at a dinner table and converse without a cell phone or without a tablet. I want them to stay as long as they want to. I don't care if they stay for three hours and have dinner. I don't care. I wanna see families. I wanna see friends. I want to see people communicating with each other. I want to see husband and wife holding hands in our restaurant. I want to see them lean across the table and give them a kiss. I want a hospitality place, which is the true meaning of hospitality. I want a pub where people can stop in and have a drink and talk about life, talk about their politics, talk about the football teams, 
And I like to listen to your piano players. That's what I like. Well, I'll tell you something. I, I'm back playing the piano for a few weeks. But frankly, I can't afford musicians right now because they restricted the time. So I pulled myself out of retirement. I appreciate the time you spent with us. You are the spirit of, of Flint. I will not let anybody talk bad about our area. We just got to get our own act together and, and make it work. And we can. So thank you. If you do come to Brick Street, when I did the re- menu over, I, I named a dinner after my father, because you mentioned my father. It's Raymond's Polish dinner. It's on our menu now. And it's Polish sausage, it's glumpy, it's sauerkraut, it's vegetable, and uh, it's potato. I couldn't fit a pierogi on it because the plate's not big enough. But, so if you're ever eating Raymond's Polish dinner, it came from my father, Raymond Jablonski, and my mother, Bridget. All right, I'm in. Take care, Michael. <laughs> Thanks, Arthur. It's the first time I've ever been in love. The game a new twist, shorty on my head list. Now if you with me, now picture this. Drop the trivia, girl, you're not a secret. I pack the prophylax, then I make you climax. Facts and stare, it's only for you I care. But when I'm out there, other girls I stare. But you're different, just like the one I vision. Now let me show you, boo, but you will always come through.